Welcome to another edition of the NCBI podcast. I'm June Tinsley, Head of Communications and Advocacy with NCBI. And today on my uh, show, I have the pleasure of having a chat with Deirdre Leach, who works with the Anne Sullivan Centre, who's here to talk to me all about the services they offer to people who are deafblind. So welcome, Deirdre, and thanks for taking the time to have a, a chat with me. Thanks, June. Thanks for having me on and highlighting deafblindness. I'm delighted to be here. Great, great, great. So I suppose just for the, the benefit of our listeners, if you can kind of tell us a little bit about the Anne Sullivan Centre and its origins and all that kind of stuff. Sure. So there's actually two parts. So there's the Anne Sullivan Centre, which is located in Stillorgan on the south side of Dublin. And there are um, day and residential services there for adults um, who are deafblind. And that originated in, I think, 1986. Um is when that was set up. And the foundation, the Anne Sullivan Foundation that I work for um, is the charity associated. And that started in 1989. Um, and again, a group of um, parents of um, school leavers who were deafblind were looking for somewhere um, for their, their son or their daughter to continue their education and have kind of a home for life. So um, they purchased a few houses around the center there in Stillorgan, and um, that's where the residential services are. But then in 2010, they set up the outreach services that I work for, and we provide um, support for people of any age um, all over the country um, who have combined vision and hearing loss. Sounds fascinating. And in terms of the uh, numbers of individuals, uh, obviously work with the, the sight loss community. Some of our service users are overlapping with yourself. Um, but ballpark, we know that there is around 55,000 people who are blind or vision impaired in Ireland. Um, and that's probably an underestimate because it's a, a figure from a couple of years ago. Um, but I'm just curious of the proportion who are deaf blind. Do we have any in indication of what numbers you're talking about? Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, unfortunately, unlike vision and hearing, um, we don't have a very um, accurate number in that there isn't a registry. So we gather our information from the CSO. So the last, uh, we're waiting on the information from the, the last census from 2022, but from the previous um, ones in 2011, 2016, um, what we do is we gather who has ticked the box that they have, uh, they're either blind or visually impaired, as well as ticking the box that they um, are deaf or hearing impaired. So um, from those numbers, it, those say about 1700, but then if you add in one additional disability, those numbers go up to about 10 um, and 13,000, give or take. Um, so we we only currently know about 200 people so very clearly there are more people out there that we don't know about um but just getting that accurate number is is really um is really challenging for us because there isn't a registry um and we just rely on again uh, people like yourselves who you know work with one sense or the other until they find that overlap um and then they may um you know refer on to us yeah true i mean i suppose we're, we're all waiting for the census 22 figures to be released to kind of give us an updated picture but even the census itself it's self-identified so individuals might not have ticked those boxes for whatever reason um so as you say there's no register from um like a, a gp or, or the health uh, research board or any of those kind of uh, databases that could kind of distill exactly the accurate number of um diagnosis of individuals with a sight loss condition or those with who, who are um have dual sensory issues 
Absolutely. And we rely a lot on those other services. So whether it's hospitals with new babies, um, disability services, uh, visiting teacher service, there's a lot of different uh, places, even, you know, parents or family members themselves may refer on to us, but we are very reliant on those other services. And we do realize that um, there are a lot of people out there living in Ireland who may not identify as deafblind per se, um, you know, that they may have, uh, we say, dual sensory loss, or sometimes we say combined vision and hearing loss, um, and really whatever that person um, chooses, you know, to use, um, we would we would go with that. So we don't really, we're not into labeling people or anything like that, but um, the same sort of support and services available for anyone who has that, any degree really of, of, um, of losses in, in either sense. And um, I, I guess you obviously work with children as well as well as adults from a, an outreach perspective. Um, and what do you think are the kind of unique challenges that that face the, the community, and what would the the solutions be? Yeah, I think um, one of the main things that makes um, I suppose my job so interesting is that every person we meet is so different. Um, so whether it's the level of hearing or vision they have, um, what other additional needs they have, there, there's quite a range of abilities, we'll say. Um, so everyone we meet, really, we have to assess and kind of see what their abilities are, what their strengths are, what's their primary sense, If if uh, and the communication piece, I suppose, is the main thing. But some of the challenges, I suppose, they face um, if they're congenitally deafblind, so from birth or up to about age two, um, is that sort of lack of overseeing, overhearing, that incidental learning piece that if you had a loss in one sense, you have the other sense to compensate for that sense. But if you have a loss in both, you can really miss out on a lot of information. And that means concepts and, you know, things that we just pick up and in the environment that we don't you know, we don't even realize that we're we're learning. We're not actively trying to learn. We just, you know, we just gather information from our parents, from our siblings, from, you know, people that come through our lives. But for children who are congenitally deafblind, um, they may not have that benefit. So we have to find ways. Um, and that's what I do is I kind of work with the teachers and the SNAs um, and the families and sort of creating ways um, for them to learn these skills um, in the in the manner that they learn, which is it could be objects, pictures, you know, um, lots of different methods. Yeah, and I suppose obviously from the perspective of the uh, children, and young people that we would work with, um, as I said, there's obviously overlap with some of the service users with it, both organisations, but certainly working with parents, a lot of it is down to try and educate them how to play and interact with their uh, infants or, or young children um, who have a, a sensory loss uh, so that, as you rightly say, they can, the, the children can develop alternative strategies to develop in, in their own way. Um, certainly, as we know, children under the age of f five just are sponges and learn and develop purely from the environment around them um, uh, and whether it's 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 picking up on conversations or it's, it's seeing the, the world around them and if they don't have those senses then they have to learn alternative strategies. Absolutely absolutely yeah and that's that's the really that's the the guts of what we do is really looking at how that person learns and how we can you know maximize their learning and how we can learn you know teach them whatever concept that is um, as most of the people we support may be the only person in their particular service or school or, you know, uh, in their town or, you know, whatever it is, um, who is deafblind. Um, so those strategies wouldn't be, you know, common and they wouldn't be strategies that 
um, would be typically learned in, you know, um, teacher training, or we meet a lot of um, speech and language therapists who come to our trainings because it's communication is what they're working on um, with the child, but they may not have another child in their, you know, on their caseload who has this combination of of conditions. Yeah, and I suppose, as you rightly say, um, pupils will be attending mainstream school um, and often the the teacher isn't equipped enough to to know how to ensure that that child is an active participant in the class just like everybody else. Absolutely. Um, So while the visiting teacher does play a significant role, there isn't enough of them to go around to meet demand. Uh, So there is an onus on on the teacher to try and um, upskill themselves really, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. And I think another um, kind of phrase or um, thing we say is, you know, it's not like taking the uh, strategies you use for people who are blind and visually impaired or and the strategies that you you use with someone who's deaf or hard of hearing and putting those together. It's a complete unique set um, of strategies. Um, and so we, we we refer to it as it's a multiplicative. Um, so it, it's not just one and one equals two. It, it really does mean um, a lot more. So a lot of those strategies and and they're you know, they're nothing too outrageous. They're kind of just really looking at, again, um, what the person's needs are and how we can best meet them through communication. Um, you know, can be can be really, you know, easily taught to anyone who's interested. <laughs> yeah. And I suppose from a, an adult's perspective, um, I, I'm guessing is uh, is a sense of isolation quite common amongst individuals who are deafblind. It can be. It can be. Yeah, we do. We have um, we have a number of adults um, that access our service and they could be um, adults who are congenitally deafblind, um, like many of our um, residents in um, in our center. But then we also work with a lot of people who have acquired deafblindness. So that could be due to Usher syndrome. It could be due to um, medical issues, you know, brain tumors, or it could be just older age. So as we know, you know, many of our family members, neighbors, friends, grandparents um, can, you know, have a gradual loss of hearing and vision over time. And that can cause a lot of, um, you know, difficulty. Again, like you said, through social, they might feel more isolated. They may be living on their own. Um, They may not, you know, drive anymore. So they might not have access to their community. So there's lots of different ways they can, you know, they could become more isolated. you know, over the years. So that is something that we definitely, um, we would be dealing with, yeah. And I suppose from for those individuals who are blind or vision impaired, certainly technology has been a huge enabler, um, particularly with the advances in screen readers and um, magnification and all those kind of uh, aids and cues that assist people um, to do daily tasks at a far easier pace than previously. Um, but obviously for individuals who are deaf blind, um, the audio features in your smartphone are, are is are not going to be suitable. So, uh, have you found if technology has assisted in the um, quality of life for individuals who are deafblind? Yeah, yeah. I suppose for the majority of the people we support, they may have some residual um, hearing or vision, so they may you know tap into that. Um, but I do find um, there are a lot of mainstream technologies um, now which. Um, people do have access to. Again, it depends on if they have hearing aids or cochlear implants and have access to that sound. Um, Bluetooth is everywhere now, you know, between connecting straight into their hearing aids or their um, cochlear implant into their phone, into, you know, different devices, um, you know, Google Homes and Echoes and Alexas and all of these things. They, um, 
you know, they can give um, someone a lot of access. And again, if they have um, limited vision uh, and some hearing, then, you know, it can really make a big difference in their lives if they can, uh, you know, access those devices. So we found it really just depends. There aren't really deafblind specific technologies, um, but there are a lot of things and we do a lot, a lot of training um, and showing people, you know, different modifications or different adaptations or features, be it on their phone or, you know, a communication device. Um, there's so much and it changes uh every day you know there's new as you know there's new technology all the time yeah yeah um and i suppose another question i have is in connection with uh, the sign language that is used and obviously it's done very tactile on on the individual's hand Um, and you know the way in different countries there's different sign language so is there a different sign language done tactilely in different countries so we typically um so we could have um Deafblind adults uh, or children that work that we work with who um, are Irish Sign Language users. Um, we, there's also um, LOV, which is um, kind of a more simplified. Um, it's not a language, but it's more of a sign system um, that has a you know vocabulary of so many hundred you know words that people might use in addition to speech or in addition to pictures. Um, but for people who use um, Irish Sign Language, um, it's really just tactile sign language is just really um, the receiver's hand over um, the the hand producing the the Irish Sign Language. So for the person who is deafblind, they put they would hold their hands over, um, and you can you can just use ISL uh, in its typical form. May need to be modified if there's two-handed signs and maybe they might have one hand maybe on their cane or something and they may only have one hand available so sometimes you need to modify but um no it's it's your, your typical um sign language and then what we found here is we may have um uh, people who access our service who know British Sign Language as well because we're either close to the border or maybe they've gone and gotten some education maybe in London and come back or, you know, different things. We've had a lot of people who have come back and forth. So they may know both British Sign Language and Irish Sign Language. So some of the interpreters that we use um, may know both. So it's 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 handy in a way. But um, And then we've had people, you know, um, come to different conferences and different you know, things we've done uh, who may know American Sign Language, but a lot of people will, there's some overlap. So people yeah. will, who are deaf, really do find the way and they'll they'll find a way to communicate uh, with the person, even if they have a different um, sign language from another country. Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, it's fascinating, actually, the, the variety that's there. Yeah. Um, and I suppose just in terms of uh, how people can access your service, if you can ex- explain that and how people can um, become residents of the, the centre in, in Stillorgan as well. How does that happen? Sure. So um, I suppose at the moment we're at capacity. Uh, we have 13 uh, residents and we have two day service users. We're hoping to expand the day service a bit more. Um, so and then referrals to our outreach service, anything um, to go on our website, there's um, there are links there. So it's just um, www.annsullivan.ie and that's Anne with an E at the end. So if you if you can't think of it, uh, it's Helen Keller's, Helen Keller's teacher. We name, the center is named after because um, her family originated in Limerick and they immigrated to the States. And so um, we were paying homage to uh, Anne Sullivan. So it's Anne with an E and um, yeah, I suppose you can, there's info at is an email, info at annsullivan.ie would be an email if you just have a query or a question. Um, there's also, I believe, a form on our website. Um, so there's lots of different ways. There's only two of us who um, provide the outreach. Um, so-
uh, the east. So she would cover Dublin and um, areas around Dublin. So we can direct you or um, we're quite happy if people, um, you know, don't necessarily want another person on the team because for a lot of the children and um, uh, maybe more complex adults we, we provide services for, um, they may have a lot, you know, a lot of different uh, professionals on the team. So we're quite happy to, you know, just link in with those professionals and you know, lead them in a direction or provide resources. Um, we do some online training as well. That's been really popular. Um, that's free uh, to anyone who who would like to. So um, there's information on that, or you can just email um, the info at uh, ansullivan.ie, and um, we'll 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 get back to you and we'll we'll direct your question. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, and I suppose the, the last question then, Deirdre, is. Um, I suppose through your work, what one piece of advice would you give to someone who's deafblind? Ooh, that's that's a tough one because they're they're like I said, it's such a diverse, um, it does such a diverse population. Um, for the per so advice for the person who's deafblind or the person working with them, <laughs> <laughs> the, the person themselves, the person themselves. Yeah, it's subjective, but anyway. Yeah, I know. I think um, sometimes I think people um, don't want to ask for help and they feel vulnerable. But I think just, you know, there are people out there who, you know, uh, are quite happy and patient to communicate with them. So don't hesitate to, to just let people know this is how I communicate. This is what I would like. And really tell people your preferences, because I think that's that's a real nice direct way, whereas I think sometimes people don't feel like um, they want to be intrusive or direct and tell people. But I think that's what people want. It's people want to know, this is how I communicate. This is what I prefer. This is the way to do it. And so just, yeah, to be direct and indicate your preferences um, when dealing, because you're they're always dealing with, you know, new people and strangers. And, you know, you have it's hard to have to explain yourself all the time. But um, people do want, I think, to communicate with you. But they there is an anxiety piece from from the stranger's perspective on, um, you know, not knowing how to communicate and people will just, you know, they won't communicate if they don't yeah. know what to do. So I think just be upfront and tell people exactly how you communicate and what you want. The same piece of advice, in fairness, because uh, it's in the in their interests, really, if uh, they do feel confident enough to de declare the way they would like to be communicated with. Yeah, yeah perfect, perfect. So listen, dear, I'd just like to say thank you very much for um, taking the time to have a, a chat with me. Um, if anyone is interested in learning more about the Anne Sullivan Centre and Foundation, jump on to annsullivan.ie and with an E. Uh, and for anyone wanting to access NCBI services, feel free to contact the info line 1-800-911-250 or jump onto our website ncbi.ie. And as always, all editions of the podcast is available on our um, website, on all podcasting platforms and on YouTube. So feel free, feel free to subscribe. But for now, thank you very much, Deirdre, and thanks for the chat. Thanks, June. Thanks, everyone.